Thank you very much for the invitation to deliver this lecture. I am basically a medievalist, meaning someone who lives much more in the Middle Ages with manuscripts and bizarre Kabbalistic writings. Only very rarely, for practical reasons, I escape into the modern period and look around and hard to believe to see how medieval material is coming to life. I shall try to portray a revival or renaissance of material. I had the privilege to deal with it many years ago. And for a variety of reasons, the least of them, the fact that I wrote about it, this material became relevant and I would like to share with you some examples. Some of them are quite extraordinary, I would say even for me. And nevertheless, the fact that they are occurring, these events, at the same time, may point to a phenomenon which is hard to prophesy what's going to happen, but we are speaking about a significant change, which I shall try to put at the beginning in a certain framework. So, if we look to what is the most fertile century in the last 500 years, from the point of view of Western of European religion, I would say that in the 18th century, when a variety of movements emerged, religious movements, some of them having something to do with the esotericists. I would like to point out especially Freemasonry, which became in the same century a global phenomenon based to a very great extent on esoteric material, including Kabbalistic material, and at the same time, still in the 18th century, Hasidism based again on Kabbalah, a certain popularization of Kabbalah, which turned toward the end of the 18th century into a popular movement and also a global phenomenon, at least since the 19th century, and today the global aspect is much more obvious. Meaning, since the 18th century, we can see a return to earlier elements, Kabbalistic elements, and which didn't have a chance to survive. The same phenomenon which took place in the 18th century, and that is the emergence of the Enlightenment. We can divide, in fact, the 18th century between those two forms of revival. A revival of a Greek, rationalistic approach, and the revival of the mystical elements mentioned before. In the 18th century, the Enlightenment cooperated with other currents, which became even more important later, like Hegelianism, and then Marxism, and a movement that I would like not to discuss here too much, the emergence of the academy, which is to a very great extent Enlightenment and Hegelian and historicist Marxist. 
Somebody asked me a question for the Holy Spirit. So we have in fact two major revivals. One, the rationalist, which is looking to religion as something which is already passive, only a matter of time before it will disappear. And such an approach became more and more evident in the 19th century and the first part of the 20th century. When strong ideologies, for example, the communist one, following Hegelianism and Nazis, and to a certain extent also some forms of Zionism, predicted, in fact, the dissipation of religion. I remember myself looking in such a way, maybe because of my communist education, but even as a scholar, I had a feeling that I am dealing with a phenomenon on the verge of disappearance. What happened in the second part of the 20th century is surprising if we are looking to the fact that Enlightenment had such a deep impact even on religious thinkers uh, and scholars. So let me mention that in the last 50 years we can see in today's strong development of what can be called neo-Hasidic vision, well known in Israel and abroad, like the Lubavitch movement, which became a movement even more global than before, and more recently, especially in Israel, the revival of Rabbi Nachman of Ratzlaff, cult development which was hard to predict 50 years ago. At the same time, in parenthesis, we can see also a revival of Freemasonry. I would like not to enter on this issue. Personally, I'm not Freemason, I'm not a Hasid. But someone dealing a little bit more with this can see very easily how Eastern Europe is conquered more and more and more by Freemasons. Part of this new development in the second half of the 20th century. We can see also smaller phenomena of rediscovery in the West of material which was found in the Western tradition and culture as a word suppressed. I would like not to enter now in descriptions of what happened in America when a long series of books named Western Spirituality are published and are disseminated by tens of thousands. Here we have numbers. We couldn't predict something like that 30, 40 years ago. So, it's not only um, neo hasidism or New Age. We can speak also about a certain movement of spirituality when people in the West try to return basically, to earlier classics which disappeared basically from libraries in 19th uh, century. I would like now in this framework to discuss the revival 
of the Kabbalists who didn't have any chance to return. His name is Abraham Abulafia, 1240. Maybe 1291, we are not, not sure, maybe he didn't die, but 1291 is the last time that we can certainly show that he was alive. So he was a bit noir in his lifetime. He quarreled with everyone around, from the Pope, the Catholic Pope, to the Jewish Pope, which was the head of uh, the Spanish uh, Jewry, Rabbi Shomo in Adret. There are only some of the people he quarreled with, and he was ready to go to them, attempted to go, and discuss with them. It didn't help because the others didn't have time. But he was ready to expose himself, and he wrote a series of books, Kabbalistic books, very difficult, claiming that they are the path to reach prophecy. He believed that he is a prophet, and for sure also the Messiah. You can understand that it's not a simple uh, assumption. And given the non-Orthodox vision he proposed in his uh, writings, he was banned by, officially, by Shlomo in Madrid, the most important figure, a rabbinic figure in, in Spain at the end of the 13th century, and his writings were never published since then. So there was a ban, an official ban, and also a practical ban, that was very powerful, not only because they didn't publish the books, but discussions I had while writing my PhD and later with Kabbalists in Jerusalem about the prospect of publishing his books were quite astonishing. They were unwilling to pronounce the name, not to speak about publishing books. I didn't imagine that medieval band is so powerful. That was in the late 70s. Kabbalists, with whom I was in very good relations, they are publishing Kabbalistic books. They didn't dare even to discuss the issue of publishing the book of Abraham of Russia. Since the late 70s of the 20th century, something changed dramatically, and I shall try to give you an impression of several unconnected events which can be historically analyzed despite the fact that they are unrelated to each other and also unrelated to me. To give you a, an example how far such a change can go, one of the leading figures today, who is also a Kabbalist, and also someone involved in very extreme or right-wing politics, Rabbi Isaac Dinburg considered Abu Lafia to, to be, in fact, the most important Kabbalist. In uh, traditions coming from him, but also I heard them from him, and he was very proud of the story I'm going to tell you now, he considered, in fact, Abraham Abu Lafia's Kabbalah to be related to in Kabbalistic terms, to the sphere of mercy, 
very positive one because Abraham is related to the Spirit of Chesed, while the canonical form of Kabbalah, accepted by all the Kabbalists today, by Iskak Luria, is conceived to be judgment negative. While later on, as a synthesis between Abu Lakia and Iskak Luria, Luria and Kapala, a much Hasidis, which is Israel Bakshelto, means Abu Lakia is the highest form of Kabbalah for a Kabbalist to understand what he's saying had an influence on a variety of Kabbalists today and on some forms of politics, this change between someone whose name should be pronounced and the apotheosis of his vision of Kabbalah, Abu Lakia's vision as related to a very positive form of Sphira, in fact, illustrates what happened in the Middle East. Now, I shall try to give you some events to give you some impression about what happened in the beginning. Maybe the most dramatic event is the Israeli government in 1992 decided to create a project named Abraham Bulafia. For this reason, there was a government decision and that's why Brahma Bratia has the room here. Which means to give money every year. It was only, unfortunately, four to five years. Now, that was a left-wing government. It's a Rabin government. The, the minister who proposed to do it was Shulamit Adoni. Nicely left with and that was approved and for four years until the assassination of Rabin, this left wing government provided money for a project named Abramabula. Roughly at the same time, again totally unrelated to the government decision, another left figure Umberto Eco became immersed in ideas related to Abulafi and in a novel he published in 1989. None of the people in the Israeli government read this novel, I can promise you. He wrote his Fukos uh, Pendulum. Where Abulafia is not just mentioned there at the beginning and the end, but that inspires to a very great extent. Long pages, including quotations from Abulafia's unpublished by then books. Echo continued, in fact, his involvement with Abulafia by using him a lot in his scholarly books, for according to his view, I emphasize his view. Abulafia is the source of no less than Dante's vision of language. I can show you here, not Echo writing about it, but his students writing now after Echo writing more about this issue. For Italians to acknowledge that Dante 
drew his inspiration from Abu Lafiyas, a nice form of photography. At the same time, there were his two left figures, Umberto Eco is rather left in Italian politics, and showing it are only two, totally unrelated. They didn't know about each other, I can promise you. And in a way, they were interested in disseminating visions which they couldn't understand too much uh, to a broader audience, either in Israel or abroad. I had the opportunity to present Umberto Eco's book in New York. I must say I was very reserved about Abu Lafia's contribution. I was wrong. And I shall give you some examples why I was wrong. In the 90s, mid-90s, and more toward the end of the 90s of the 20th century, the interest in Apulafia became now part and parcel of some groups of Kabbalists in Jerusalem, whom I know personally, and I had many discussions with them. The interest had nothing to do with my interest in Apulafia, they came for their reason, that I know. For people who understand what is Mea Sharim in Jerusalem, there's the extreme part of Mea Sharim called Rab Aralach, meaning that's the most extreme part. I had several discussions with leading figures of Rab Aralach. And they were, again, very much interested in it. Started to study manuscripts. And toward the end of the 90s, for the first time, almost all the books of Abu Lafi were printed. It's a very nice series of 13 volumes, 13 and a half, you can see. Despite the fact you have many other volumes, doubles, but 13 volumes, which became a set. You can see today in Measuring, after the Bible and the Talmud and the Zohar, you have the set of Avraham Abulafia sold in Measuring with recommendations of leading Alaphic figures in Measuring, who recommend his writings in terms which is very hard even to translate, because if I'm going to translate, you say, I am crazy in what you I don't understand what's written. In each and every volume of the certain volumes, we have prefaces in which the admiration for Abu Lafia cannot be compared but to Moses. And that, that's a long list of extreme language that Sharon has seen some, a small part of it, but I can bring certain uh, prefaces. All this is published and disseminated today in Mea Shari. I had many discussions with the people who are involved in printing so, those editions, which are terrible, no less. To give you only one striking example you will never forget, Abulafi I described there as someone was born in Nevada, 1240, Nevada, 
small mistake. And the manuscript was written in Navarra. So, the mistakes are terrible, but that's another story. I don't have the time to educate the Kabbalist to print correctly. I attempted to do it, and I would like not to enter now in details. But what is fascinating is the fact that we have certain volumes which are not out of print, that are printed time and again, and sold normally in Mearsharing in more than one bookshop, consumed basically by ultra-Orthodox people who 15 or 20 years ago, whom dare to pronounce the name of Abulafi. I will not like to discuss too much the, those volumes, but what is important, they are not just some form of recovery of Abulafi. They are used by the people who printed it in order to disseminate his teaching in uh, larger audiences, in Rehovot or Bethlehem, because their assumption is that Abulafia is contributing to the ideal formulated already by Moses in the Bible that all the camp will be prophets. So that is the ideology used by Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox uh, figures, few of them, but attempting to create larger groups in order to disseminate uh, his cover. Believe me, those people didn't hear about Shulamitalon. They didn't cooperate with the director. It has nothing to do with the fact that I spoke with them because they came to me because they were interested already for their specific reasons which I cannot enter into there. Again, in the 90s, in the uh, United States, again unrelated to what happened to me, Asharin, to my best knowledge, a certain academy, Ishida, was created under the name, in the beginning of Bnei the Sons of the Prophets, Orthodox uh, Academy, and now in Chicago, which uh, created some form of uh, classic text, or it's written Prophetic Kabbalah, that is the handbook of Prophetic Kabbalah. Professor Sharon has seen it, the second edition, and they are now in Chicago. I met personally, not only I have the book, but I met personally the head of the Shiva. For them, that is the most advanced form of Kabbalah. There's nothing to do with Echo, or not with Shiranitaloni, and even not with people in Mea I asked, they never heard about the project. Now, even more surprising, uh, in a visit, by chance, I made in Brazil some two and a half years ago, in different parts in Brazil, different cities, there was a group coming to all the lectures. They attempted to speak with me about Abulaf. My impression was very wrong, that they would like me to sign some books on Abulafia, but there were no books there. So they told me, look, 
we know we are going to come to Rio, we shall come to Rio too, and then we shall discuss. So I arrived to San Paulo, I arrived to Rio, all of them are there, lecture after lecture, so at the end they dare to tell me the story. They would like me to visit them. What is them? It's a group. Um, of Christians living according to Abu Rafia's technique. In Rio, but despite the fact they have also branches in different parts of Rio and also in São Paulo and also in Lisbon. This meeting was indeed a shock for me. First, I didn't believe what I see. A group of people living according to Abulafia, which means a whole villa, rooms with the divine names used by Abulafia, books of Abulafia, none of them in Hebrew because they don't know Hebrew, and they claim that they are living according to Abulafia's way of life. For me, it was very surprising. I must say, I was very skeptical about it. But whatever they were telling me, they could easily demonstrate. That's not very invention, but that can be documented by pictures, children using Abulafia. When I started to laugh, they brought immediately pictures, <laughs> including issues which are even more bizarre, like they are teaching the police of Rio de Janeiro of So they took me to the place. Because, you know, I, I simply couldn't believe. What is the development having nothing to do with my family? They were not influenced by Echo, not by Shulamit alone. Their claim is that they are coming from Lisbon, which is a total fake from a historical point of view. Simply, it cannot be. They invented some form of pedigree. However, what is fascinating, they took Abulafia seriously as a way of life. Many of them are academicians that I have seen from the questions they were asking me in the previous lectures I gave, and I was quite surprised. In Brazil, people are asking questions which are very, very intelligent. Then, only later, I could understand why they are so intelligent. So that is, that is a, a phenomenon which is, can be checked. They have a site on the internet, and I'm checking from time to time to see what's going on there. The site exists, which I was not sure when I returned to the hotel. But believe me, two and a half years, the site is active, and I still don't believe I've seen it with my eyes. Now, such a vision of Abulafia as a concrete form of institution, and not ideas like Echo, uh, demonstrate that there is something lacking in Mississippi, the people who like to retire by returning to Abulafia's uh, rather bizarre writings. Again, maybe to a certain extent related to Echo, but not too much. There's a revival of interest in Abulafia in Italian academy. Centers of medieval uh, 
studies in Messina. And now publishing Abulafia's writings in Latin translations made for people of Mirandola, which uh, is again, Abulafia was part of Sicily. He wrote most of his writings in Messina. The University of Messina, for bizarre reasons, decided to deprive their patrimony and their there yeah, are scholars interested in working very seriously, meaning uh, I discussed with some of them, in promoting Abulafia's writings for Italian culture, that's for the Italian culture. At the same time, there is a huge interest in Abulafia in literary writing. That I can give you only a very small summary because there's too much. It started totally unrelated to me, much more with a chapter of Gershom Scholler and his major trends in Jewish physicists. You can imagine in, in uh, California when several scholars, uh, several poets started to uh, write poetry translate, translation team, though not published was it again. And since the late 70s, and to give you examples, in addition to Echo, the Jewish-French playwriter, uh, Roger Liberetti, wrote a play on Abraham Abulafia's Kabbalah. I was by chance in Paris when this play was shown, but I didn't know, so I didn't go. But in the morning, someone told me, look, there was something on Abulafi. I said, that's impossible. So they brought me the libretto, that's Abulafi. There are novels related to Abulafia, and even a small movie. By and large, what is going on, in my opinion, that is an attempt coming from, if you like to call it the left, but also from the right, maybe the extreme left, the extreme right are meeting, at least on this point, to retrieve some form of an, some form, unorthodox form of mysticism, which will reinvigorate the forms of Jewish mysticism and work for two or three hundred years. That's not a guess, it's, how to put it, a conclusion. I can draw from discussions with Orthodox Kabbalists, asking them, why do you meet Abulafia? For what reasons? You have canonical forms of Kabbalah, studied all the time, in Shivod. So they're unwillingly or unconsciously. They were telling me, in fact, but in fact, that's not enough. What they have is not enough. And they are looking for other forms of spirituality. To tell you about what happened in the last two years, when I stopped following what happened on the internet, it was too much for me, and I don't have the time. Nevertheless, from time to time, people are sending me some information. So. The last development of Abulafia's writings 
are disseminated free on PDF. You don't have to go to Mersharim to buy. You can find them free, to download free, officially. Initiated by Amon Gross, the publisher of Abulafia. There are groups of studying Abulafia and some of new groups, not the Brazilians who claim they are studying for 15 years. Brand new groups in Philadelphia, for example, studying uh, Abu Lafia rather intensively by someone who has a good idea of what Abu Lafia is. An Indian Jew named Abi Solomon, who is now also writing books on Abu Lafia, still not printed, but they are going to be printed sometime. Which means, in fact, that very weird forms of Jewish mysticism, which were considered to be, even by the Kabbalists, extreme and dangerous. And then, are returning in a rather powerful manner to the fourth form of the interesting Kabbalah in a variety of circles. I would like to not enter now in the place of Abraham Abulafia in writings by a variety of popularizing uh, figures. But now you can buy Abulafia in English. Almost all his writings translated in English and not the best English in the world, but nevertheless that's an heroic effort. And you can buy them on the internet. Uh, and uh, the English versions, I assume there's going to be Italian version of it, because the English translations are done in Italy, and sometime in the near future, maybe also, Italy will enter in the game. A Kabbalist who was condemned to perish, in fact, around 1290, is making the return as part of a much bigger revival of interest in forms of spirituality that no one, including myself, would dare to imagine it is possible in the early 70s. I emphasize the political division between Rabbi Isaac Ginsburg, which I believe is fairly right, and Shulamit Aloni, which is fairly left, and hard to find two extremes more clear, what they have in common, I believe, is no more than their interest in Abulafia, which they are ready to promote for reasons of offering an alternative to whatever is found today on the religious market in Israel. So, unlike the more classical forms of a Jewish Mysticists like Rabbi Nachman and Chabad or Lubavitch were, there are classical books studied, like Tania or Bikutei Moharan studied, to have pilgrimages uh, to tombs of the founders. In the case of Abulaka, there is no tomb, no classical writing, no establishment which is able to sustain such revival, and nevertheless such a revival is taking place 
after the dissemination of his writings free in the last year, I assumed that some other, even more bizarre phenomena are going to emerge. Because the consumption now, free, will nourish the imagination for people in search for more extreme forms of instances than provided by Rabbi Nachman or Chabad. I would like not to become a prophet. I only wonder if in the moment when the interest of Abulat in Abulat is going to be on the peak, Hebrew University wouldn't close the center on Abraham Abulat in that moment. Next time I shall tell you if it happens. Thank you very much.